Senator, good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Matt. And thanks. You're, you've sandwiched in between votes, so I know we're we're constrained here, but we'll we'll just get right into it. Sounds good. Um, so, first question: Did did you see the Fauci documentary yet? <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for a signed copy of his autobiography. You know, so uh, no, I probably will not have time to see his documentary. I see enough of him in committee, probably more than anybody would wish to see. So I noticed uh, that on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe you saw this: the the critics, like 35 critics, thought the Fauci documentary was fabulous, and only two percent of the people that actually watched it. The fans mm-hmm. thought that it was fabulous, and I feel like that's a metaphor, perhaps, for all of your conversations back and forth with Fauci, I guess, in May and July, right? You know, we've been seeing him for over a year now, and I think every time I've encountered him, he's said something categorically, categorically false, and uh, the danger is that he's in charge of all of this. Now, he'll say he has no real power, no power to actually legislate, but people have been following him. I mean, the universities follow him, the employers follow him. And this is sort of what, I guess, annoys me about some of the libertarians who love mandates. And these libertarians are now writing about how great mandates are. And it's like, what's well, one thing to say an employer has the right to do a mandate. It's another to say it's like a good thing. And it's yeah. like you want what libertarian in their right mind wants to work for an employer that gets involved with your health care and asks you what kind of medicines you take and whether you've had shots. I mean, that sounds like about the most unlibertarian workplace you could ever imagine. So it really appalls me to see these writers who are like, oh, yes, they absolutely have the right. Well, a private business may have the right to do things that are abhorrent, you know, and I find it, frankly, abhorrent. Uh, And it's all directed from Dr. Fauci. It isn't sort of this dispersion like, oh, well, there's a lot of voices we've heard. They're listening to one side that's completely ignoring all the science on naturally acquired immunity. And it's frankly insulting. Think of uh, the doctors and nurses that worked for a year risking their lives to take care of people who had COVID and then to be told, well, you're going to be cast off as yesterday's trash because we don't care whether you had it or not. You just have to submit to what Dr. Fauci thinks you should do. And so I don't know. I think libertarians need to grow a spine and we need to have, uh, I just don't understand how you can call yourself a libertarian and be prancing all over and being for mandates. Yeah. Well, I don't think those two things go together (laughs) at all. Like uh, I don't, uh, the kind of libertarianism I ascribe to is, is against government mandates, even if it's sort of a de facto Fauci mandate, because imagine the pressure that that these corporations are under when Fauci says this is the right thing to do. There's liability issues, there's public pressure issues, and it's it's and and maybe some of these corporations actually want the government to tell them what to do so they don't have to decide at all. Well, and the thing is, is once you ex- ex- sort of accept the idea of employer mandates. Uh, how many you know people are tangentially associated with the federal government? So, for example, as a physician, I take Medicare payments. Do I work for the government? Unfortunately, maybe half the time I was sort of working for the government, but I don't. Yeah. But am I, a con- am I a contractor? The hospitals now are all sort of considered to be extensions of the government. What facet of our life isn't connected to the government somehow? If they wanted to sort of extend these mandates in every sort of tangent to get as many people as they wanted – the whole country's going to be under a mandate. And so I want people to fight back. I want the businesses to fight back. I want uh, the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses to fight back. I want there to be somebody out there who actually believes in the spirit of America, which is leave me the heck alone, who says, I want to have a business or I want to have a hospital. We're not going to, we're not going to be East Germany. The Stasi's not going to show up at your door and want your papers. Um, I don't know. This stuff infuriates me. And it's... Uh, 
even if it isn't sort of directly dictated as policy by Fauci, he's spreading the, the, the this this terrible science or this terrible lack of scientific uh, skepticism or, or even debate that really is, is antithetical. You know, I've seen people tweeting this out, you know, if you say the science, if there's a consensus in science, you're not a scientist and know nothing about science. Right, right. Uh, well, he, he's already established that he is the science and anyone that criticizes him is, is attacking science itself. Um, but it's like, it's a form of... Uh, an offer you can't refuse, right? So if you if you challenge Fauci, particularly if you are a scientist and maybe you work for a research institution that takes government money, um, you're you're ostracized and your career is destroyed. Look at the the great Barrington epidemiologist, all of whom had impeccable credentials. They've been they've been demonized by society, and I'm pretty sure that uh, the next time one of those NIH grant applications comes around and they're associated with it, they're just going to get ignored it's going to go in the trash can there was a uh, i think there's a minister who's been resisting in canada and he was mandated by the court to not contradict the accepted scientific experts with regard to covid and can you imagine but the thing is is if if fauci were sitting here and you pin him down he'll actually say he 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 knows that natural immunity works as well as the vaccine or better but he's spreading a noble lie. He's, he's sort of Plato reincarnated, and he's spreading this noble lie because he's afraid it might deter some people. He knows it's the truth, and he knows all of the studies. You know, uh, somebody published the other day, what, 29, 30 studies, all supporting the idea that natural immunity exists in this very potent form of immunity. He knows all of that. But when he was asked the other day on CNN, what about natural immunity? He immediately falls back to lying. He says, well... Wow, that's that's an interesting question. We should look into that. What horse? What horse hockey? He he knows exactly what the answer is, but he doesn't want to tell you the truth because he's afraid it might deter people. I think it could be the opposite. The people left who haven't been vaccinated, actually, an ounce of honesty might actually convince them to actually maybe decide. So I was meeting with the CEO of a corporation this week, and uh, their population is union. And many of them are resisting. About a third of them have not been been immunized or been been vaccinated. And I said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to the head of the union, say you understand their their grievance, and see if they want to volunteer to get uh, blood testing for antibodies. And then if you find that the third that remains, half of them have antibodies, why don't you give them an accommodation? And to the other third, why don't you tell them that we found you you don't have immunity. And we just thought you'd like to know, and maybe because you don't have immunity and you have this risk factor or this risk factor, maybe you'd like to get vaccinated. Maybe through persuasion and information, some of those people might choose to be vaccinated. And this is what I want to make sure I do in every interview is I tell people I'm not against being vaccinated. I'm actually pro-vaccine and pro-freedom. And I would never force somebody to do it. But I think over 65, the odds of dying from the disease are much greater than being harmed from the vaccine vaccination. And at the high ages, definitely that. I think if you're overweight, the same thing at almost any age. But really, overweight, overweight and age adds to it. But if you're a 15-year-old kid and you had and you had COVID last month, your 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 parents are idiots if they're going to go ahead and vaccinate you because there's there's no way that you need to be vaccinated. There's no science behind it. It's all submission. And really, they haven't adequately studied people who have had COVID and vaccine. The interesting thing about it, and Thomas Massey has been great at pointing this out, all of the studies of the safety of the vaccine vaccination for COVID exclude people who have already had it. Yeah. Because they, don't, they know they're already immune, so they don't want to study them. But they also, we don't have the safety profile. 
And if you've already had the disease and you get vaccinated, you have about a thousand times greater immune response. Could that be related to myocarditis? I don't know. Maybe it's not, but we certainly ought to study it before we start forcing vaccination on a group of people who are not at risk for dying from this thing. Yeah, the, the, the really obnoxious part is gets back to the question of personal choice. Like, if you make a choice based on your risk assessment and it doesn't turn out the way that you had hoped, at least someone didn't force you to make the wrong decision. And that's what's so so weird about about Fauci ignoring natural immunity and Fauci ignoring um, plenty of research, as you've pointed out, on, on masks and ignoring um, all of the con- scientific consensus before lockdowns that lockdowns were a really bad idea. It's the thing that like we shifted, we ignored all the science and started with this new paradigm and I think that's why people are so like skeptical. Right. And I think if people had a dose of honesty and he told told us the truth that, you know, don't know everything, your kids probably not gonna die if you really want to get vaccinated, it's probably okay. But if you don't, I think that's a reasonable response. People say, Oh wow, he's actually being honest with us. But what's interesting is you look around the world, these so-called socialist nations in Northern Europe that we're all supposed to say, oh, this is great socialist nirvana. That's not true. But it's also interesting that they're not using sort of the authoritarian methods that are advocated by Dr. Fauci. Many of them have uh, are not mandating vaccines. They're not mandating masks. People have sort of gone back to normal life. And, you know, Denmark and Sweden and some of these uh, Scandinavian countries and um, in, in the United Kingdom, interestingly, they said, well, there's such a skew, an age skew on this disease. If you're 80 years old, you have a 10,000 times greater chance of dying than a 10-year-old. That's a huge difference. And we rarely have diseases that are that segmented, you know, on age. We, the United Kingdom basically said, we're not going to force uh, vaccination on children. We're going to recommend boosters for people over 65. And see, that's, once again, using logic. And then people say, oh, we can't do that. We have to force people. Well, most of what they tell you on CNN, almost everything, 99.9% of it is misinformation, untruth, or bold-faced lies. So they're saying, oh, nobody's being vaccinated. Well, it's not true at all. Over 65, 90% of people in our country have been vaccinated. It's an extraordinary. I mean, that's been voluntary. 90% of people at risk. People are not stupid. People make, I think, rational decisions given the information. Above age 50, it's like 75% of the people have been vaccinated. And had I not had the disease, I would have gotten vaccinated. My wife chose to get vaccinated. It took her six months. She wanted to watch and see how the results came in. But after about six months, she decided to, to get vaccinated. So we're not against the vaccine. And I told people I still might get vaccinated. I'm kind of waiting to see if there becomes a new vaccine for the new variant. I've been vaccinated against the first, the wild type, because that's what I had. But now if I want the Delta variant, the vaccine's not very good about it. Now, if you've not been infected, vaccine's better than nothing probably, but is no longer perfect. It also destroys their argument for, oh, and and some of the libertarians, we'll call them the pseudo-libertarians, accept this also. Oh, you're endangering somebody else. It's your freedom is endangering someone else. Well, guess what? People have been vaccinated are endangering me, too. In fact, if you go to a restaurant and you're worried about sitting next to either an unvaccinated person like myself who's got it or a vaccinated person, guess what? The truth is it's safer to sit next to me even though I've not been vaccinated. But now this is spreading. I mean, there we were invited to some fundraiser tonight. We're not going because I'm on the blacklist. I'm not allowed to come because I've been I have not been vaccinated. You're the unwashed now. The unwashed, the so deplorables. I waited, I, I waited 14 months before I got vaccinated. I, I didn't hide. I was at mass events throughout that 14 months. And then I got COVID. 
So the government's promise, or Fauci's promise, <laughs> that I would get uh, robust immunity if I got vaccinated turned out to be true. It just happened to come from infection and not Well, the, the interesting vaccine. thing, yeah, you probably, so your vaccination's to the wild type, and if you got it, what, in the last several months? Yeah. So you probably got the Delta variant. Everybody's getting the Delta right, variant now. Right. So actually, you're in a pretty good position as far as immunity. Uh, you probably, uh, you know, probably had a little bit, and I think the vaccine may have helped you to have a. Did, how was your case? How was it mild or severe? I mean, it, I, I didn't have any breathing problems. I I just felt like crap for a couple of weeks. Um, but. And I'm not sure this is always true, but I think if your symptoms are more ache and headache and less pulmonary, you have a more benign course. It's mm-hmm. the pulmonary that that can kill you. Um, but there are some people who go through the aches and pains for 10 days and then all of a sudden get it. Yeah. But we live in a world now that you have to be careful and you have to be smarter than the medical industrial establishment. If you're not smart, they'll deny you care. So I know a woman who's in the hospital now. She's 30 years old. Uh, she's out now. She's been in and out of the hospital a couple of times. Um, she got COVID. She wasn't vaccinated, so they treated her like crap. She got to the hospital. They admitted her, but she was there for three or four days, not on a ventilator, just with reduced oxygenation. Her husband, because she had heard me speak the week before, said, we want the monoclonal antibodies. And they said, well, you're an inpatient, and the government forbids us from giving the monoclonal antibodies as an inpatient. This is the problem with centralizing the authority. So the it used to be we had algorithms and suggestions, but doctors were allowed to go outside them. Now they're talking about taking away licenses and kicking doctors out of hospitals if they do anything, particularly like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. But even the monoclonal antibodies, which the establishment says works, and I, I do agree works, can't get them if you're an inpatient. So I tell people now, you have to tell people. You have to know how to game the system. If your loved one is sick... Don't be admitted to the hospital. On your way to the hospital, say, please stop in the emergency room. Don't let them admit you from the emergency room. Once you cross the threshold, you can still be in the same building. But if you're in the emergency room side and not the inpatient side, you can get the monoclonal antibodies. Once you go through a certain doorway and they've given you a wristband and you're in the hospital, you can't be treated. It also is the same for symptoms. They say if you've had symptoms for 10 days or less, you can get the monoclonal antibodies. So here's my suggestion. You you might conveniently forget the first couple of days and you say, oh, well, today's day 11. No, I mean, I mean, day seven. And you might get treated and you might get your your life saved. And look, it probably that there is some truth that the longer you were into it, the, the less effective they are. So if it's day seven and it's 70 percent effective, what do you think it is on day 11? It's probably not zero. Maybe it's 30 percent effective. And you say, well, would you want a 30% chance of not going on the ventilator if you get this treatment? Well, yeah, and shouldn't it be your choice and your doctor's choice? Um, it, it really appalls me, not only the pseudo-libertarians that are for all these mandates, but then also the left, which claims that they're all for medical choices and that they're pro-choice in so many ways, except for when it comes to vaccines. Then they're against all choice whatsoever. All of your records are completely public. You have to carry them printed, stamped on your forehead. Um I don't know. I it, think there's a great deal of hypocrisy. It's, it's, such, a biz, it's such a bizarre world on, on both sides with this stuff. But the, the trend you're describing, the, the way that, that the Biden administration essentially socialized or nationalized the distribution of monoclonal antibodies, this is a new model because that's, just, that's what we did with the vaccine as well. It's all, um, you know, we, didn't, we haven't socialized production yet. Thank goodness. And, and, and think of who all the welfare went to. You already had health insurance. Your health insurance should be paying for your vaccine right. and for your monoclonal antibodies. They're paying zero. What do you think? What kind of subsidy do you think that is? 
billions upon billions of dollars have been saved by the insurance companies. Probably that was probably the. I haven't seen the way their stocks went, but I would assume they've gone through the roof because they they skipped the pandemic completely. Yeah. But the danger of socialization, and this is danger of socialism in in, in general, is it becomes cronyism and favoritism. Just like there's a one percent in capitalism, there's a one percent in socialism, but it's who your friends are. So when the monoclonal antibodies began to show promise, uh, Governor DeSantis was opening these clinics and they were giving access to these clinics to get more people access that were sick. Our governor, Democrat, I call him DWP, drunk with power. His real name is not really that important because he won't be there maybe until the next election. Thomas Massey calls him the Bashir variant. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) He's a mutation, that's for sure. But anyway, he sent a letter out. In his letter, he said, the message to all you unvaccinated people is not that there's a treatment, it's that you're using it all up. It was like, it was this blame and shame game. And it's yeah. like, are we gonna live in a world where people will come in and morally judge you and your lifestyle before you get treated? I mean, it's like, oh, you know, you ate too many cheeseburgers, we're not gonna give you a heart stent, you know? You have this, you're not exercising enough. We're gonna treat people that way? I mean, it's a crazy world that uh, there's going to be a judgment. And here it's a political judgment because most of the red states have a lower vaccination rate. But uh, what, if you come in, you've been vaccinated, you have COVID, you're dying, they're gonna treat you and give you the monoclonals, but you haven't been vaccinated, you don't get treated. I mean, I think this is a terrible world. And we never, I mean, I've been alive 58 years. You never ask who gave you something. Oh, I got the cold. I don't know where I got it. I probably got it at school or I got it at the gym or whatever. I have a flu. You know, even when someone died, we didn't think it was someone else's fault. There's there's no way to know. And like, I, um, you know this, but 20 years ago, I survived stage four cancer. And I went through six months of, of super aggressive chemo. At the end of that six months, I was vulnerable to everything. And based on the new paradigm, I would have apparently had the right to expect everyone else to stay at home so that I could go out. But of course, that would be ridiculous. So I stayed home because I was the one that was vulnerable. And we flipped the paradigm so that everybody is 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 somehow guilty of something, even though they've they haven't done anything wrong. Right. And that's that divides us. Right. And the thing is, is uh, seclusion can work, separating yourself from society, but it has to be done in a sort of an extreme fashion. And your self-interest was aligned with that. You had a self-interest in surviving, so you could and did probably stay away from people as much as you could. Um, but everybody can't do that in sure. an interaction. So every individual, and then there's not as much incentive for it if you're not sick, you know. So, you know, you look at these videos of uh, two-year-olds forcing masks on two-year-olds and putting them in the daycare center, and you see, like, the teacher putting it on, the kid taking it off, putting it on, like, ten times in a row. It's like, you, you, you want to see if you put fluorescein on their hands and their face where it is now? It's everywhere. You have, If this kid has COVID, you've now spread it everywhere because kid's got his hands on his mask. You've got the cans on there. Your yeah. mask is going on and off. And there's no way to contain it. I, I remember in, in, in medical school, we had a – it was a poker game or just a card game with fluorescein. And they started it out just on one person, and it was just right here, you know. And then by the end of the game, everybody's got it. It's all over the cards. It's all over everything. But uh, it's actually strange to me the the way COVID has passed, though, because, um, you know, my family, my uh, sister-in-law had it eight months ago, pretty sick for eight months. Husband took no precautions. He just said, um, I don't, I'm taking no precautions. He was around her for the whole time. He didn't think he got it, and he, and he probably didn't because he just got it two weeks ago when he yeah. tested positive. But after being around her for 10 days, 
completely around it with no precautions. He didn't get it. And then he ended up getting it incidentally somewhere, you know, by, you know, being in a truck with somebody or at work, you know. So let's talk about, I know you got to get going soon, but let's talk about Fauci and gain of function research. It's a topic that you've engaged him on uh, famously in May and July. Uh, there's a new book by a reporter from The Australian that, amongst many other things, tells a story about Fauci going to then uh, President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and lobbying him to reverse the decision to cut off funding of, of Wuhan. And we've also discovered academic articles that Fauci wrote um, uh, very much defending gain-of-function research and saying, you know, even if there's a pandemic because of this, it's better than not doing it. Um, where are we with this? Like Fauci in July called you a liar. Mm. There's still money going to the Wuhan lab. They still are getting NIH grants. And so there's one that goes 2020 to 2025. Peter Daszak still involved with this. He was the one that then got together, got all his cronies together, and said you were a conspiracy theorist if you thought it came from the lab. In the first day or two, Fauci's getting all these responses from other scientists saying, oh, my God. They're all, their jaws are dropping and saying it looks like it was manipulated. It looks like it came from the lab. And then after about three days of discussion with emails being exchanged at 2 and 3 in the morning, they have a conference call and a, conference, and a meeting, and they're all on the same page. So I think they, they realize that some blame will attach to them. They were funding a lab and a pandemic that killed 4 or 5 million people now looks like it came from their research and from the research that they funded. But um, he's uh, unapologetic. He's been asked, do you trust the Chinese, the, the communist government, and the research led by the communist government? He's like, well, um, the, the virus is there, and we need to be there studying it. So he hasn't really learned anything from this. But to me, it's a pure a, a, or a perfect example of collectivism versus individualism. Um, if you ask him, what about my 15-year-old who had COVID three months ago and now, why do you want to vaccinate him? Why can't he play sports or go to school? He'll, he'll, his thinking is he really doesn't care about your 15-year-old. He's going to tell you, or in his mind, he will think, well, it's very rare that they get myocarditis. It's only one in 100,000. If your kid dies, it's better for the whole collective, the, the beehive, because we're all going to be better even if your kid dies. So he doesn't really care about the individual. He cares only about the collective. And I think that um, that was his comment from 2012. He said, if a scientist spread this and a pandemic occurs, the collective of the research, of the research gained, will have been worthwhile. And uh, that should be chilling to all of us that he really doesn't care about the individual because in our country, you care about your medical care and you talk to your doctor. And if you don't appreciate or think it's the right opinion, you get another opinion and you try to sort through the truth. And it's not always easy. I mean, if you've been through cancer, knowing which treatment to get, and then you do your own research and trying to figure out what to do. And sometimes there's, you know, let's say you have something that's actually is terminal and, you know, like uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, it's like, Shouldn't those people get a choice? And they've, they've been coming to Washington. We listen to them, these heartfelt stories, and we respond and say, yes, yeah. you deserve to be able to make your own choices. You're, you've got a terminal disease. You're young with the young kids. It's like, but then nobody believes I should get to go to a doctor that might give me inhaled steroids and might give me monoclonal antibodies if I'm on day 11 of symptoms. This is a terrible, terrible world. And I, I think the thing is, is... Uh, I understand from the left, you know, their sort of confusion and hypocrisy because they really are big believers in government. Really, it's the pseudo-libertarians that have, have, have seemed to be for limited government and now are all over these mandates. 
and really glorifying even in the employer part of it because it is being pushed by government. These employers didn't dream this up. If Dr. Fauci didn't have a, the monopoly of a $400,000 megaphone that he preaches from every day, we wouldn't be getting employer mandates, which are private, but they're being influenced and pushed and uh, you know brought on us by the, by the government. Yeah, I mean, there is this, and, and this is my final comment, there, there is, whether purposefully or not, a paradigm shift going on where we're we're expanding dramatically government power and you've you've talked endlessly about the trillions of dollars they're spending we don't have and there's one other article that that Fauci wrote with another guy from NIH um, where he describes his vision of the future which sounds a hell of a lot like the great reset like he's wanting to fundamentally change the way we travel and we engage with our neighbors and and it sounds like central planning run amok and all draped in the, in the language of like, this is the only way to prevent this next crisis from happening. But I, I think that the big government guys see a window of opportunity here to, to make all of these new authoritarian regimes permanent. I think you're right. And at every step, when there's a choice of more mandates or less, Fauci's come out for more. He wants a mandate. He wants us to carry papers to get on planes. Um, And really, none of it makes any sense at all, because the thing is, is now we know you can carry the disease if you're vaccinated. So, I mean, really, should they not have to prove how good their immunity is and show me that theirs is better than my immunity? And why can't I travel? Um, and then why can't I travel if I have a religious objection to it or just a personal liberty object, you know, objection to this? No, it's a terrible world we're heading towards. And I think, you know, you have a lot of libertarians watching this. I hope libertarians will think this through and uh you know, support the liberty position, which is leave me the hell alone, stay out of my medical records, don't come at me with your needles, leave me to make my own decisions in a free way. Just to be clear, the viewers of this show are real libertarians. <laughs> there you go. I think you're right. I think you're right. Thank you, Senator. Thanks. I know you got to run. Thanks. That was amazing. Where can I get more content just like that? It's a great question. You're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, and click the bell. And if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in. Kibbe on Liberty, honest conversations with interesting people.